Good morning, Team APG, and welcome to our first ever Gold Star Spouses Week podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Crouch, and for the next 40 or so minutes, I'm going to take you on a heartfelt journey through this podcast into the stories of heroes who made the ultimate sacrifice to our great nation and the family members they left behind. Each of our heroes are directly connected locally to us here at Aberdeen Proving Ground, and their family members are a part of our Gold Star community. These stories were written by APG News reporter John Blyweiss and will be narrated by members of the U.S. Army Communications Electronics Command Strategic Communications Team and other volunteers. If you are one of the many participants taking part in the Monument to Monument Run to Honor, this podcast was designed for your use as something to listen to while you complete your run or walk in honor of our Gold Star families. Between each story, we'll also hear some fun, popular tunes sung by our very own U.S. Army Voices and Downrange, the Army Band Pershing's Own, and the Army Six String Soldiers to energize your run, walk, or whatever activity you're completing while listening. So without further delay, let's get started. Sergeant Jamil Freeman was a family man who joined the Army National Guard as a way to grow both personally and professionally. His wife, Jennifer Freeman, described him as a foot soldier who loved being on the ground and in the action. This is their story. Jamil Freeman saw the military as a means to provide for his family. After graduating high school, where he took part in ROTC, Freeman joined the National Guard as a way to support his son, who he had while in high school. His time with the National Guard included a deployment to Iraq, and he also did civilian work as a recruiter, where he ultimately met his wife, Jennifer, while doing recruitment work at a mall in Towson. She, at the time, was a student at Towson University. Freeman saw the military as a career, and one where he was progressing both personally and professionally, his wife said. He grew up in a one-bedroom home and was raising a family of zone in a three-bedroom home with a garage. He liked working with other soldiers. He was able to provide for his family and wanted to make a career out of it. Everything was how he envisioned it. It was the way he wanted it. After he returned home, he broke his contract with the National Guard and enlisted in the Army and became an infantryman, Jennifer Freeman said, despite her hesitations because of the war. Jamil Freeman saw it as a way to continue to support his growing family. He enlisted shortly before he and Jennifer had a daughter. He convinced me that it was the right choice. An infantryman, Freeman was stationed with the 1st Battalion, 32nd Infantry Regiment, 3rd Brigade Combat Team, 10th Mountain Division in Fort Drum, New York, when he got the call to deploy on March 17, 2011, to Afghanistan for what was expected to be a year-long tour. He liked being on the ground. Most people will find it scary. He did a little bit too, but he knew he was good at it. He wasn't into computers, he wasn't technical, he was a foot soldier. He loved martial arts, he loved weapons, and he loved being in the action. It was his second deployment, but his first as an active duty army soldier. He was nervous, but he tried to make sure I wasn't as nervous. He put his nervousness aside to try to ease my pain. After the death of Osama bin Laden just weeks later, there was hope that Freeman would come home in August in time for his wife's and daughter's birthdays. 
As far as Jennifer Freeman knows, her husband never got a date to come home. On August 11, 2011, in the Kandahar province of Afghanistan, Freeman died of injuries sustained when a makeshift bomb detonated near his vehicle while serving in Operation Enduring Freedom. Four others were killed in the incident. Freeman is memorialized at APG and Fort Drum. Jennifer Freeman said her husband enjoyed working with other soldiers and was always the life of the party. There was not a moment when he couldn't make you laugh. That was Sergeant Freeman and his wife Jennifer's story of their love and ultimate sacrifice. We want to make sure that Gold Star spouses like Ms. Freeman are recognized and honored not only on Gold Star Spouses Day, but every day within our community. We hope that this podcast and our other activities this week will help our audience and community show their gratitude for our Gold Star community. Up next, we have the U.S. Army Six-String Soldiers covering Take It Easy by the Eagles.
Our next hero story is about a U.S. Marine Corps corporal who dreamed of being the best of the best. He joined the young Marines in middle school and even went on to be the youngest high school junior to take part in a Navy SEAL challenge where he placed in the top 10 of more than 50 participants. He joined the Marine Corps because in his own words, he wanted to be a grunt. This is Corporal Nicholas Shokowski's story. The last thing Tracy Miller expected was that her son, Nicholas Olkowski, would join the military because she never thought that war was a good way to settle conflict, and she still doesn't to this day. But the military had long been on the mind of a young Nicholas. When he was in middle school, Nicholas said he wanted to join the Young Marines, a youth leadership and service program. So as a supportive parent first, she found a unit of the program that he could take part in. It was also around that time when he learned more about his grandfather, who served in the Polish cavalry in World War II, which inspired him to want to serve his own country. In high school, he went to the Boys Latin School of Maryland in Baltimore. The charismatic student realized he thrived in physical and team activities. In his junior year of high school, he was the youngest to take part in a Navy SEAL challenge and placed in the top 10 out of more than 50 participants. He became captain of the school's wrestling team despite winning just one match, and was also an avid runner. And despite his mother's anti-war beliefs, Nicholas graduated high school wanting to join the military, and especially the Marines, because he thought it was the toughest. In high school, she tried to convince him to join ROTC, thinking he would go into the military as an officer. He said, I don't want to be an officer, I want to be a grunt. Nicholas joined the Marines through a delayed entry program in 2000, and left for South Carolina for basic training the following year. He knew their boot camp was the worst. He started training as a survival swim instructor with the hopes of being a Navy SEAL. But then in 2003, an opportunity arose in which he could be a sniper. He enrolled in sniper school and made it through. He wanted to do what was going to be seen as the toughest. He wanted combat. Being a sniper was something that Nicholas enjoyed and as far as his mother knows, it was something he thrived in, earning several sharpshooter medals. It wasn't until he was in Iraq that he could put into practice what he was trained to do. As part of the 1st Battalion, 8th Marine Regiment, 2nd Marine Division, 2nd Marine Expeditionary Force at Marine Corps Base Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. He deployed in June 2004 in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom. The battalion came back in January 2005, but Nicholas did not make it home. On November 14, 2004, he was killed by an enemy sniper attack. Memorials in Nicholas's name include a bridge on Charles Street in Baltimore County near Interstate 695, as well as several areas of Boys Latin, including the library, where some of his military books can be found. Each year on his birthday and on the anniversary of his death, Many of his friends, in and out of the military, reach out to remember him. What a true American hero. Corporal Shokowski will forever be remembered as a light that touched the lives of everyone he came across. To hear his story through the eyes of his gold star mother, Tracy, you could really feel how proud she is of her son. This podcast serves as an opportunity for us here at APG to show respect to our Gold Star spouses and mothers and thank them for their loved one's service to our nation. So thank you, Ms. Miller, 
for your unwavering love and support of your son. Now let's pump up your run or walk with another quick music break with Barracuda by Heart, covered by the U.S. Army band Pershing's Own, another fun selection from their 2019 Halloween-themed special, Deranged.
This next story is about a U.S. Marine who dreamed of becoming a military officer since childhood. Captain Jesse Melton wanted to follow in his Navy grandfather and Army father's footsteps. His mother said he was always a natural-born leader. This is their story. Since childhood, Jesse Melton III had a dream of becoming a military officer. He came from a family of service members. His father served in Vietnam with the Army. His grandfather was a World War II veteran who served in the Navy during the attack on Pearl Harbor. It was his father who planted the idea in young Jesse's head, telling him he had what it took to become an officer. From a young age, Melton's mother, Janice Chance, said her son was a natural-born leader. Melton had a desire to join the military after high school, but his mother insisted that he attend college first. So he joined the Marine Corps Reserve after his freshman year of college, giving him the ability to balance getting an education and going through the process to become a commissioned officer. After his junior year, he completed officer candidate school. He graduated from Messiah College in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania in 2000 with a degree in communications. It was the best of both worlds for Milton, as he was able to utilize the skills he learned in his studies as a communications officer in the Marines. The dream became a reality. His family noticed a difference in Milton's demeanor and behavior. Chance said Milton inspired his sister Janine to join the Army, where she served from 2002 to 2009. I remember the first time he came down the stairs, and his sister yelled out, Oh my God, look at my brother. He looks so handsome in his uniform. And she noticed a difference. He had that military bearing and walked as a Marine. Over the course of his military career, he held a variety of positions. He was stationed in Okinawa twice and was promoted to captain prior to serving a tour in Iraq in 2005. Melton initially made an eight-year commitment to the Marine Corps in 1997. When his commitment was fulfilled, he decided he wanted to continue on with his military trajectory. Chance said being a member of the Marine Corps kept her son focused. It was a passion of his to protect and serve, and as he continued to excel, he wanted to continue to move up and move on. The longer he served with the Marines, the more he felt like he was making a difference. I think it was just in his blood then. Now a captain, Melton had aspirations of becoming a major in sight. While Chance said her son had completed exams to make him eligible for major, he also needed to log service and combat time. He completed Expeditionary Warfare School in 2007 and was stationed in Okinawa, Japan, when his team was told Marines were needed to be deployed in Afghanistan. He volunteered and accepted the assignment in March 2008. He was assigned as team leader for Embedded Training Team 10, where he was responsible for assisting with training soldiers in the Afghan National Army. The deployment proved to be fatal. On September 9, 2008, while returning from a combat mission, he, along with fellow Marine First Lieutenant Nicholas Madrazo, Navy Corpsman Eichmann Strickland, and an Afghan interpreter were killed by an enemy IED. Chance said she learned Melton had taken the place of a senior officer who needed time to tend to administrative work on the mission, which was not an uncommon occurrence. Melton earned about 13 medals and awards over the course of his career. Posthumously, he received the Purple Heart, Bronze Star Medal with the Combat V for Valor, Combat Action Ribbon, and the Joint Service Commendation Medal. He also received the NATO Medal, International Security Assistance Force, 
Afghanistan. There are a number of monuments and scholarships in Melton's name, including a bridge dedicated on Maryland Route 29, which was the area where he grew up. The sign is posted on I-695 near Exit 21 in Randallstown. The officer in charge of Marine Corps forces in Okinawa at the time of his death, the now-retired General Robert Neller, spoke at the bridge's dedication ceremony in 2017. At the time of the ceremony, Neller was Commandant of the Marine Corps. It was my son's mission to change the world, make a difference, and do something that will bring God glory. In my eyes, that's exactly what he did. That truly was an incredible story of a family's unwavering dedication to service. Gold Star spouses and family members are the resilient legacies of their service members' sacrifice and service to our nation. We want to ensure that their stories are continually told so that we not only never forget their loved ones, but also recognize the sacrifices these Gold Star families continue to make. Now for a quick music break, we have the U.S. Army six-string soldiers singing Listen to the Music by the Doobie Brothers. This next story is about an Army major who served both in and out of uniform. As a National Guardsman, Major Robert Marchanti was a gym teacher, school athletic director, and a soldier. His wife Peggy said that Major Marchanti saw his careers as a gym teacher and as a U.S. Army soldier as the best of both worlds. Let's listen to their story. Joining the military was something that Robert Marchanti II had kept in mind for a long time, said his wife of 24 years, Peggy. And in 1984, at age 20, he decided then was the time to do so. He wanted to jump out of airplanes, but he never made the commitment. It was something that was in his heart. 
While in basic training, he figured out what he wanted to do with his life, be a gym teacher. He returned from basic training and went to college to pursue that career, while also staying in the military and becoming a member of the Army National Guard in 1986. After completing college, he joined Baltimore County Public Schools as a gym teacher and later had a stint as an athletic director at the George Washington Carver Center for Arts and Technology in Towson. It was the best of both worlds. He could still wear a uniform sometimes. The National Guard unit he was a part of was a medical unit, and he would go on missions to help inoculate people in need. His military career took a pause in the late 1990s when he stepped away, but it turned out to be temporary. The attacks on America on September 11, 2001, inspired Marshanti to return to the Guard a few months later in 2002. A few years later, the National Guard sent him on a deployment to Kosovo. The county school system guaranteed him a job upon his return in 2006. Even though Kosovo wasn't luxurious at all, he loved it. He loved helping people and he loved wearing that uniform every day. The deployment was about a year long. But while the county guaranteed him a job, it wasn't at the school he was previously at, Piggy Marshanti said. It left Robert Marshanti at a crossroads with an opportunity to join the National Guard full-time as a federal technician tugging at him. He jumped. He knew he had to make the change. Based out of the Joint Force Headquarters 5th Regiment Armory in Baltimore, Marshanti spent his time as a technician helping build armories across the state, repair them, and get and manage contracts. On September 11, 2011, he was deployed to Afghanistan. While some may have seen the deployment as a burden, he saw it as an opportunity. He had never been there before. All the things he was trained for over the years, he wanted to use them. He wanted to make a difference. During his deployment, he was with a unit that was helping train police. He enjoyed learning the native language. He was assigned to 1st Battalion, 29th Infantry Division Security Partnering Team of the Maryland Army National Guard. He would often write to me, or we would Skype, and he would tell me how awful the people had it. He was very happy to be helping Afghans. On February 25, 2012, Marshanti, along with Air Force Lieutenant Colonel John D. Loftus, were killed by an Afghan intelligence officer inside the Interior Ministry offices in Kabul. According to the publication Stars and Stripes, the shootings came in the early days of deadly riots across the country over news that American soldiers had burned Kirans at Bagram Airfield. Memorials for Marshanti are located at the National Guard Unit in Parkville, where Marshanti started his military career, as well as at Camp Fettered Military Reservation in Reisterstown, where a physical fitness room is in his name. What an inspiring story. Major Marshanti's love of teaching and being a soldier truly defines what it is to be a hero. Gold Star Spouses, like Peggy Marchanti, are really who we honor during Gold Star Spouses Day. This year, Gold Star Spouses Day is April 5th, where we remember and honor surviving spouses of fallen service members. We wanted to pay tribute to these spouses through our week-long virtual activities that include this podcast. Let's take another music break with Somebody to Love by Queen performed by the U.S. Army Voices and Downrange. Can 
Our next hero story is about a U.S. Army staff sergeant who was military-minded from the start. Sergeant Damian Campbell set out to join the Army to follow in his family's footsteps as a military police officer. Going on to become an Army medic, his mother says he simply loved what he did. Let's hear their story. Donna Robinson knew that her son, Damian Campbell, was military-minded from a young age, 
As a child, he played with toy soldiers. His father and other family members were part of the Jamaican Constabulary Force, where Damien and his family lived until he was seven. In high school, he was part of the ROTC. After Campbell graduated Forest Park High School in Baltimore, college wasn't an option due to finances, so joining the Army became an attractive option. He enlisted on June 15, 2000. It scared his mother, but she wanted to support her son and gave him her blessings. I know he loved the Army. He saw the next step for him was going to the military. Upon entering the Army, Campbell wanted to follow in his family's footsteps and be a military police officer. But because he was not a U.S. citizen at the time, his options for a military occupational specialty were limited. He ultimately decided to become a medic. And while he ultimately became an American citizen, by that time, he was committed to being a medic for the long haul. He wanted to make a career out of it. He loved the military, and he loved what he did. In March 2001, Campbell became a member of the 1st Battalion, 508th Infantry Regiment, 173rd Airborne Brigade, where he joined the Charlie Company Red Devils and was assigned to the headquarters and headquarters company. He went on to earn the nickname Doc Lama. Over the course of his Army career, he had deployments in Germany, Iraq, and Afghanistan. As a member of the Red Devils, Campbell served as a platoon medic for Charlie Company in Iraq and for both the engineers and the mortars in Afghanistan. In 2005, Campbell re-enlisted so he could stay within the 173rd Airborne Brigade and move to a job with more responsibilities and be able to mentor junior medics with the knowledge and experience he gained during his two combat tours. Campbell was killed in Afghanistan on August 26, 2005, when the Humvee he was in ran over an IED during a combat patrol. He ended his career as the headquarters company's senior medic, serving alongside fellow paratroopers, trying to bring peace and prosperity to the people of Afghanistan. Robinson said when she and Campbell talked, he usually didn't talk about the achievements in the Army. It was after Campbell's death that his mother learned about many of the awards and accolades he received, including the combat medic badge Airborne Parachutist Badge with Bronze Star, the Bronze Star Medal, the Purple Heart, the Army Accommodation Medal, three Army Achievement Medals, and the Army Good Conduct Medal. When he came home, we didn't talk military. We just enjoyed each other as a family. Those Campbell served with praised his positivity and attention to detail. They described him as a role model and superior medic. They said he was technically and technically proficient in his trade, and enjoyed being a sergeant and leading younger soldiers. During Campbell's funeral in his hometown of Baltimore, one soldier approached Robinson and made it a point to tell her that Campbell had trained him. Another soldier, who brought Robinson her son's dress uniform, said Campbell was one of the best he had worked with. Memorials for Campbell are in Towson, Fort Benning, Georgia, and Italy. Sergeant Campbell's story was a special one. It wasn't until after Campbell's death that his mother learned about many of the awards and accolades he received throughout his career. A very humble soldier. Now let's switch gears and hear from the APG Survivor Outreach Services Coordinator, Mike Farlow. He's going to take a few minutes to tell us about our Gold Star Family Program and APG Survivor Outreach Services. 
So Gold Star Spouses Day uh, started off actually as Gold Star Wives Day back in December of 2010. Uh, roughly about two years later, the Senate resolution codified Gold Star Wives Day observed on April the 5th for each year. Later guidance changed the recognition to be more inclusive as Gold Star Spouses Day. The Survivor Outreach Service Program was created in 2007 as a way to reassure survivors that they would be continually linked to the Army family for as long as they so desired. The program serves as a long-term advocate for the survivor and provides support, information, and services closest to where the survivor family lives. So if they're closer to an Air Force base or a you know, Navy base, they would, they would get services from those locations. We primarily service Army survivors, but we do not turn anybody away. We will take anybody you know, in our program and support them and take care of them for as long as they wish. Uh, currently, APG supports 277 surviving family members, with, which is within our catchment area of six counties within the state of Maryland. So we have Harford, Cecil, Kent, Queen Anne's, Talbot, and Caroline County. But like I say, we turn nobody away. So if someone comes here and needs support, we will support them. So through the run that we're doing for the April event, the Monument to Monument Run to Honor 5K, and the money that is received through that will go to future Gold Star events. Um, Gold Star Mother's Day is in September. Usually it's the last Sunday in September every year. So we would use those funds to support events such as that. Uh, as far as volunteer, you could go to Gold Star Mothers of Maryland website or Gold Star Wives website, just look them up and they will have volunteer opportunities. Or you can go to Army Community Service and find out through their volunteer program if there's any volunteer um, opportunities through the volunteer program with Army Community Service. I've been working with the Gold Star families since 2014. And I will have to say that it is the most enjoyable job, the most rewarding job that I've ever held. And what I realized very quickly is it is the most resilient, strongest people you will ever meet in your life. They have experienced the the worst fear you know that everybody has. They've experienced it, they've lived through it, they've survived it, and they are thriving with that. So I have learned more from them than I think I will ever, you know, teach them or you know bring to the table for them. It is an amazing group of people and it is such an honor to work with them and be a part of this program. This next story is about a Navy Petty Officer who joined the military just before his 18th birthday. Petty Officer Second Class Romeo Bashundak was among the many soldiers who lost their lives during the September 11, 2001 attack at the Pentagon. His mother said that she thought joining the Navy would give him good discipline and help steer him in the right direction. This is their story. Two days before his 18th birthday, on September 12, 1995, Chris Romeo Bishundat enlisted in the Navy. His mother, Boshmati, said she thought joining the Navy would give him good discipline and help steer him in the right direction when it came to finding a career. He was the first on either side of his family to join the military. Sure enough, Bishundat, who went by Romeo, found his calling as an information technology specialist. After basic training, 
He was assigned to the Ticonderoga-class guided missile cruiser USS Yorktown in 1996, and then the Austin-class amphibious dock transport USS Shreveport, where he served for four years and was the ship's webmaster. Initially enlisting for a four-year commitment, he re-enlisted in 1999 and continued his education by taking online classes. I think he was thinking about making the military a career. He thought it was a good direction for him to take. In May 2001, Bishundat was assigned to the Pentagon, where he worked at the Chief of Naval Operations Telecommunications Center. Bishundat lived in Waldorf, Maryland. His mother said that while her son said little about what he did in the role, he quickly qualified at three watch stations and was excited to work at the Pentagon. He was very impressed with the size of the Pentagon. He came home and he was taking off his shoes one day when he first started, and he said, Mom, I would really like to take you and Dad there. Bishundat never got to take his parents there. He was among 33 sailors who died in the Pentagon during the attack on America on September 11, 2001, three days before what would have been his 24th birthday. Bishundat is memorialized in several ways, his mother said, by a walk at his high school, a scholarship, a flagpole and stone at his high school's football field. A lab on the USS Shreveport is also dedicated in his memory. It's heartbreaking that Petty Officer Second Class Bashundat never got the chance to take his parents on that tour of the Pentagon. The sacrifice he made will never be forgotten and will always honor the sacrifice that Gold Star mother, Ms. Bashunda, has made. Let's take a quick music break with a lovely cover by the U.S. Army Voices and Downrange singing Message in a Bottle by the Police. Just a castaway all in lost at sea Another lonely day No one here but me More loneliness Than any man could bear Rescue me before I Fall into despair I'll send S.O.S. Message in a bottle My message in a bottle yeah. A year has passed since I wrote my note I should have known this right from the start together Whoa. Love can mend your life Love can break your heart I'll send SOS to the world I'll send SOS to the world I hope that someone gets mine 
that someone gets my I hope that someone gets my message in a bottle My message in a bottle final hero story is about a family who gave it all for the army. Corporal Alan Bowman, his sister Kathy Mosher, and her husband Major Leslie Mosher. Let's listen to Kathy's story as we hear about her brother's service and how it inspired her to join the army where she met the love of her life, Major Mosher. Richie Bowman was in college with aspirations of becoming an elementary school phys ed teacher. Despite being a Dean's List student, he had a sense of guilt being there. Many of his friends from back home went to war, but he didn't go. He then had a change of heart enlisting into the Army in 1969 at the tender age of 19. Additionally, Richie was influenced by his father, a chemical engineer officer who served in the South Pacific and also had stints at Aberdeen Proving Ground North and at Edgewood during his Army career. He was sitting in a safe zone and his best friends were marching off to war. That's why he did what he did. 
After basic training, Bowman went to Fort Polk, Louisiana, known as Little Vietnam at the time, to receive training prior to being shipped to Vietnam. Bowman, an infantryman, was eager to serve in the war. He had an all-in approach, just like he had at home. He was excited to go. It was an amazing thing. He knew by going that he could make a difference. Bowman was one of seven friends that ended up joining the Army and fighting in the war together. They all came back, except for Ritchie. He was in Vietnam for about three months when he was killed in action in Cambodia during a firefight on June 19, 1970. He was serving with Company C, 2nd Battalion, 5th Cavalry Regiment, 1st Cavalry Division. Awards he received included the Silver Star, Bronze Star, Purple Heart, and several Army Achievement Medals. A stone at APG's Legacy Forest is in his name. It was Richie's death that inspired Kathy, who was two years younger than him, to join the Army herself, despite her parents' wishes. She felt it was her obligation to finish her brother's mission. Kathy joined the Army Reserve in 1976, then went on active duty in 1985. She was a nurse during Operation Desert Storm, taking care of the wounded in the operating room. The following year, at Fort Dix, New Jersey, she met a physician's assistant who had the most gorgeous blue eyes she ever saw. Time after time, Kathy would continue to run into Les Mosher. After a few encounters, she asked him, Are you stalking me? He had this Dennis the Menace grin he was known for, and he said, If I was, what would you do about it? And I thought, What do you do with a person like this? Shortly after, he asked her on a date, and they were married a year later. Kathy and Les both continued with their Army careers until 1994. Les Mosher was 17 when he enlisted in 1964. His father, who served for 20 years in the Army, quickly signed enlistment papers when young Les threw them onto his lap. Mosher became a medic because medics were needed to serve in the Vietnam War. It was a career path that he may not have chosen at first, Kathy said, but it was one he came to enjoy, ultimately earning his registered nurse certification. He loved the fact that he could help other people. He took that very seriously. Early in his Army career, Mosher served two tours in Vietnam, earning the Legion of Merit during that time. Upon his return from Vietnam, he wanted to advance in his field and be, as his wife put it, more than a medic. He attended Army Physician's Assistant School at Fort Sam Houston, Texas. He wanted the biggest arena where he could help people. He knew that the further up the ladder he went, the more opportunities would avail him. As time went on, he came to enjoy teaching younger medics the tools of the trade. He retired from the Army as a major after a 30-year career. Mosher passed away from heart disease due to complications from exposure to Agent Orange during his tours in Vietnam. I never thought Vietnam could steal from me again, but it did when my husband died in my arms. Well, folks, that concludes our Gold Star Spouses Week event podcast. I hope you enjoyed your time listening. And if you're just finishing up your 5K right about now, congratulations. I hope you found some inspiration through the stories of our fallen heroes and will join us in continuing to honor and support the Gold Star spouses, mothers, and family members they left behind. We want to once again thank the families who shared their service member stories. Let's also thank the APG News and CECOM Strategic Communications teams 
for lending their voices for today's podcast. Most importantly, I want to thank you all for listening and showing your support for our Gold Star families by walking and running the Monument to Monument 5K. It was truly a pleasure being with you during your walk or run. If you'd like to read the story shared today, you can find them on the APG News website at www.apgnews.com. Thanks again for joining me. Have a wonderful day.